Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everyone. It's Paul Avery here, which means you're listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Two extremely exciting bits of news today. And in priority order, the first one is, this is episode 21. How exciting. We're very excited. And then the other one is, it's Martin Broadhurst's birthday today. Happy birthday, Martin. You don't look a day over 25. It's very kind of you to say, I, uh, I feel immeasurably older than 25. The joints, all of them, every one of them, even me knuckles. The brain is firing and it's been firing hard all week because of all the wonderful AI stories that we've been pinging back and forth. Yes. Yes, very much so. Um, well, thank you for, for wishing me the happy birthday. I'm going to have a lovely day, not really doing any work except for recording this podcast. And let's be honest, this doesn't feel like work, does it, Paul? This is just uh, a good friendly chat, uh, informing our good listeners, but no, it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good day. We've got some good stories to cover today. Um, I've had some good news this week, which was uh, welcome. I'm, I'm now on the editorial board of the Applied Marketing Analytics Journal. So that's uh, uh, going to give me interesting access to, to good research papers that we can bring into the podcast and inform our listeners. Without doubt, that's going to be uh, uh, some useful content for people coming forward as well. Lovely stuff. We've also been planning some of our, uh, some training for some of our clients coming through that are interested in finding out how they can leverage the power of AI to inspire their teams to be more creative, be more efficient, be more effective. So that's been quite fun as well, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. I'm looking forward to rolling that out uh, with, with more clients in the coming months. Absolutely. Right. With that, let's jump straight into these stories this week then. So um, quite heavy on the synthetic voice, synthetic humans this week, starting with Play HT 2.0 which is a new conversational AI voice model. Now, you may remember the name PlayHT because when you listen to the intro of the Artificial Intelligent Marketing Podcast, that voice that you hear was synthesized using the first version of their tool. But what's really exciting is they have now unveiled their new model, and it's a real major leap forward in conversational speech generation, at least according to the company. It's been trained on over 1 million hours of diverse speech data, and it can mimic voices, accents, and languages with really amazing realism, even after hearing just a few seconds of sample audio. So in essence, what this promises to be able to do is, I think it's six seconds that the, uh, the press release says, six seconds of training on your voice, and then able to mimic it. And this includes some examples, which of course we can't really easily test, of someone speaking in a language such as Spanish, and then having that voice used to generate English, but maintaining nuances of that person's Spanish accent, which was quite an incredible demo. It's also, if that wasn't exciting enough, and I think it is pretty exciting, it also introduces the ability to control emotional expression when synthesizing the speech. So now as a user, you can directly use the model to speak in tones conveying happiness, sadness, fear. What you basically do is in your prompt, you just say, the text you want the, the, the synthetic engine to say, and then you just say scared and it will sound scared. And again, all of the demos of this, of course, always cherry pick the best examples, but if it has the power that it looks like it does in the demos, then goodness me, it's going to be extremely powerful. So one of the things that I think has been able to help improve this is compared to the previous model, which was kind of limited in terms of how it had been built and its ability to really generate long form synthetic speech outputs. But thanks to Play H2T 2.0, you might have to look at the name of that, honestly, because that's uh, it's almost like trying to say artificially intelligent marketing. Um, it's got far more parameters, 10 times as many parameters in the model. Um, and because of how it's been built, it promises real time, low latency speech generation, which again is a game changer for a lot of applications like customer service, um, and just general conversational abilities with an engine that you needed to be able to produce synthetic speech. 
So yeah, expect to see this popping up in places like virtual assistants, customer service, even audiobook generalization uh, generation. There's, I think, probably applications for sales folks out there in terms of creating customized voice messages and maybe video, which we'll come on to in a bit moment with a story from Martin. For marketers, I think it's just going to make it even faster and easier for us to generate things like podcasts, videos, ads with custom voices, making it easier to give a play my content button so that you can have mm. people listen to your blog posts and stuff on the go if that's easier. And rather than it sounding super robotic, actually sounding like studio quality voiceover work by a human. In terms of how this technology is really emerging and, and developing very quickly. Play HT 1.0 was released eight months ago. Now we have 2.0 and it is a real leap, or at least from the examples, looks like a real leap forward. So the model at the moment is in closed beta, so you can't go play with this yet, but it will be made accessible through the company's API and their online sort of Play HT studio, which is uh, what we use to generate the intro to this podcast. Yeah, did you have a look at this, mine? Yeah, well, I'm thinking about the, the the training and the six seconds worth of uh, training data required, which is obviously incredibly short amount of time. So well done them for, for getting that down. But um, I, uh, as you were talking about the idea of being able to do the emotional nuances, I was just thinking, do we need six seconds of someone sounding scared to get that into the model, get someone with a, you know, a fear of spiders and just throw a tarantula on them and record that? And now we've got their scared model. I imagine they've, they've, um, we don't have to do that though, do we? That would be good though. <laughs> Could you imagine like uh, the quick brown fox jumps over the whatever, whatever, but you've got to do it. You have to give <laughs> the full range of performance, <laughs> right? Okay. If you want a, your voice uh, in Denzel Washington style, you've got to give a, the quick brown fox. Like you've got to be able to, you just live here. Um, yeah, you've got to capture those six seconds of, if you want it to sound sad, someone's got to come in and tell you that your dog's just died. And, yeah. No. So, the way I understand it is they must have been able to develop in the model the ability to sort of understand the sonic signature of someone's voice in that short time frame to then be able to reproduce it. But I think we're going to know a bit more about this when we get our hands on playing with mm, it. But it sounds yeah. pretty cool. Um it's not the only game in town, though, is it, Martin? What else do we see this week? Well, it's really not, no. So um, Hey Gen have unveiled their version 2 as well. And theirs goes beyond uh, voice synthesis into full AI-generated avatar clones, so video, basically. Uh, the results are incredibly realistic, um, with people questioning on the demos that were put out on, on Twitter this week whether the um, the avatars were actual humans. And I can see why people were questioning. I think both me and you said we watched the video. So on the, the one that was published on the founder's Twitter account, he had two videos showing side by side. And we both watched it thinking that one of them was real and one of them wasn't. One of them was AI generated. It turns out they were both AI generated. Um, it was a bit mind-blowing. As we yeah. were both trying to find out, we were trying to figure out the real one, but neither of them were. That for me is quite a good Turing style test of like, um, when your brain's doing that, it basically is believing both of them are real and you're looking for the nuances. Yeah. It was a bit of, um, can they do it for everybody or did they have to like spend a billion hours of compute power just for the founder? That's the question for me, but yeah, I think that's the, that's, that's the the big piece of the puzzle. Like if everybody sat recording video of themselves in, you know, badly lit offices on their office webcam, is that going to generate realistic looking avatars? We shall see. But they say that, uh, in just two minutes, the founder's voice and accent were cloned and they were obviously cloned to a T. So they've done a good job with that. So not quite the six seconds that we heard about a moment ago, but you know, two minutes of video footage is not a lot. Um, that video, I would say would pass for most people. In fact, I, I reckon 95% of people would, would believe those, those video snippets. So this synthetic media generation, audio video suggests that we're about to see a full explosion of this kind of content, um, in all sorts of different media landscapes. Like you spoke about, 
uh, ebooks or um, audio books, um, podcasts, video streams, you name it. And I think the, the use cases are myriad. I was thinking about specifically for businesses producing, I don't know, let's say webinar content, but you're producing some webinar content, you want to promote it on social media. Uh, a lot of the time, you're probably going to stick together a little graphic and post it on LinkedIn and say, sign up for this. But we know that actually, if you were to do a little video snippet, that's going to be a bit more engaging. But to make that engaging little video snippet for your webinar, you're going to have to write yourself a little script, record that, and then you're either going to record it as we are now on a webcam, you know, not the best quality conditions in terms of, you might have to record it several times because you've cock up the script a couple of times or the audio is not quite right or this, that, or the other. Well, now with a synthetic product, you know, you can make a one minute video and it's right the first time, every time it looks like it's recorded on studio quality, um, equipment and you can put it out on social media and that kind of short, the, 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 the cost to producing short content has dramatically reduced or is going to be dramatically reduced. And we're just going to see more of it. And I think for marketers, that's going to be a massive boom. I agree. But I think, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And um, we've talked about it on the podcast. I had a conversation on the LinkedIn's uh, a month or so ago about um, the deluge of crap content that is uh, only ever a heartbeat of way with the explosion of capabilities of these tools. So... I think it's great that we can produce it easily, but when there's low cost and low effort to producing content, I think you can often see a low bit of low imagination and churn, like just get out. And I just, I worry that our ability as marketers to saturate channels, like people always say, um, enjoy a particular channel until marketers get until hold of it and ruin it, right? And I think there's something to that. I think we've done that to a number of social channels and this just democratizes the ability to do that because a certain amount of money or skill that you would have needed to produce this type of content is going to be vastly reduced. The other thing that comes to mind is on the sort of sales prospecting side, which is maybe, you know, touches on marketing's role a bit in terms of supporting with content creation, but I get a lot more outbound crappy emails than I used to. I'm pretty sure they're all using the same software or the same agency because even the email templates are the same. It's like, oh, so dull. Just leave me alone. Um, one great way to get around that was to create personalized videos for your prospects, right? That showed you really went to the effort of creating something just for them. People tried to find ways to gain that, right? By having a thumbnail with a person's name written on it, but then the actual video was like not customized for them at all. Well, with tech like this, sales reps are going to be able to do that at scale. And again, without the necessary effort put in to make sure that the content is valuable for the recipient, it's not going to work. Like it'll work for like four to eight weeks or whatever the timeline it takes for us as humans to spot that this is just us being fooled into thinking people think we're more important to them than we really are. Um, so it could be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think for both our first two news stories, the suggestion to marketers would be just because you can produce a lot of content at scale, don't really use it just produce, don't yeah just don't <laughs> just use it to produce good content if you've got great ideas and you can add value to your audience and actually scale it opens up new avenues for, for you to generate value brilliant if it's just churn and burn goodness me marketers are going to make the world a pretty dreadful place for us scrolling through linkedin looking for one half decent piece of content that wasn't just churned out without any thought just because you can doesn't mean you should i agree with that um, right, so that's synthetic peeps and voices done. Let's um, let's move on to ChatSpot for our new story. So users of HubSpot um, may be aware of ChatSpot, which is HubSpot's sort of large language model chatbotty type tool um, that we've been following on the podcast over the last couple of months since it was launched. I think it's fair to say it launched with some great ideas, but you couldn't really do much stuff with it. Well, we're very happy to report that it is starting to really emerge and mature as a tool that you could actually consider using. So with this tool, it's had a recent makeover this week. So it's got a bunch of new features and has different um, sort of layout and usability to it. 
One of the features really, really cool is the ability to summarize CRM records. So with a simple command, Chatspot can now provide an AI-generated summary of a contact or company's record, and not just the stuff it scrapes off the web, but its ability to actually summarize the notes that you as marketers and sales folks are taking in the system. So um, the ability, for example, to figure out what web pages a lead had visited before um, you know, before you have your prospecting call. So that's pretty awesome. The interface itself has seen quite a few improvements. It's going to be a lot easier to use. And things like templates and chat have been separated just to make it a bit more of an easy experience. And the tool can also now summarize YouTube videos, which is interesting. So you can drop a YouTube link into Chatspot and get a summary of the video content, which is a fairly powerful application that I haven't had a real play with yet, but I want to dig into. Have you had a play with that yet? Fine. Yeah, I tried it on a couple of videos. They seem to do a good job. All of these kind of uh, systems that offer these summarizations are basically just taking the transcript um, from the from the page and putting that as the input. So um, it does as good a job as many of the others that I've used. And if you're a HubSpot user, maybe even a HubSpot free user, I have to check that. But ChatSpot's effectively free, right? So you could absolutely try um, that and see how you get on. It will also... Um, give you information on podcast stats. So if you put in a podcast, it will give you uh, a summary of the podcast. And we chucked in artificially intelligent marketing uh, and it found us and it knew that we'd published it and knew how many episodes there were. Um, so that was good, good stuff. It was. It was also slightly sarcastic. <laughs> in what sense? When it said uh, it gave us a rank and it said, where do we rank? And it said top none. <laughs> yeah, it gave us a rank rank but that's okay <laughs> with us because uh, it's a podcast that's on the up as you will know dear listener um and you will share this with all your friends in fact we're on a mission now for Chatspot to give artificially intelligent marketing a rank that's not top none and you dear listener are now a part of this very important social initiative thanks for your help in anticipation um why should marketers care about this because as we've been talking about having these types of tools baked into your marketing and sales CRM is going to give you the type of power to create personalized um, email programs for individual leads. And I, and I really feel like this summarized CRM records tool is a precursor to leveraging that type of data for other content generation. So I think it's great as a sales rep, but I think that's what, what comes next. I actually had a really practical use case for it um this week so i've sent out an email campaign um this week or should i say back end of last week and i just had chat spot open and i just wanted to check how that campaign had performed open rate click rate kind of thing um normally i would just jump into my dashboard and do that but i had chat spot open anyway so i just asked it how it had gone and it told me it gave me the exactly the sort of report that i would have got if i went into analytic uh, and that was super handy just having that there can interrogate the data. Um, I can ask it to then uh, show me who engaged with it. And, you know, the, the more I dug into the, the data and wanted to interrogate it more, it kind of fell down in a few areas. But as a starting point, um, it worked really well. Yeah, and it's not many months old. You know, I think they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes to improve it. And I think with a lot of these sort of next level applications, it's the teasing of how of the progress we're making rather than would we on the podcast today say marketing and sales folk get chat spot. You won't need anything else. It's going to do everything you need. Like we're still in the emergence phase. We get asked a lot, don't we, Martin? Like what tool should I use for this? What tool should I use for that? It's just it's so dynamic at the moment. Whatever recommendation we make this week is going to be different probably next week or the week after or certainly in a month. And as much as I realize this is not helpful advice, you have to keep an eye on the tools, especially the ones that are baked into software you already use, like Salesforce or HubSpot, to just see what's emerging and what you could tap into. Um, and I think that's the key, because I think if you are a HubSpot user, ChatSpot is arguably reaching that tipping point of true utility, whereas for a lot of time, yeah, even the templated chats that you could click, a lot of the time it would go, I know what you want, I can't do it. Like it's literally, <laughs> that would be its response. And it's like, well, if you know what I want, just do it. But, you know, it, and I appreciate that getting these tools to work is, um, is a huge undertaking. And it's just good to see the, the evolution of Chatspot. And I do think 
I can see it starting to become more of my workflow now it's reached that tipping point. Yep, very much agreed. What's next for us, Martin? There's some new updates in the open source model world. So Stability AI have released uh, new Beluga models, and they are setting records. So they um, released two powerful new AI language models, Stable Beluga 1 and Stable Beluga 2. Uh, They put this in a press release, and a a little detail I really liked about this story was that they said, previously codenamed Free Willy, the models were renamed after the gentler and more harmless beluga whale. For those of you that have seen the movie Free Willy, might question how aggressive (laughs) Willy was. Um, I don't think we should cut that audio snippet out either because I don't think I'd do very well online um, with that. But yeah, I, we, I actually featured when you were out of play, Martin, the Free Willy models. It's, I, it's interesting to see them get rebranded. Some, something's yes. driven that outside of the um, nonsense in the press release, I would suggest. Yeah, they seem to talk about just the, the reputation of, they, they put a line in saying that the reputation of orcas as being these more aggressive animals, yet these models were, they, they needed to be, uh, well, actually, they specifically say that the fact that orcas are called killer whales was, was you know, not ideal. And these models are designed like Claude from, from Anthropic to be, you know, helpful and harmless. So the beluga whale was chosen. Anyway, enough about the branding. The beluga models were trained on uh, synthesized data inspired by Microsoft's orca model, hence the free willy idea. Uh, Stability AI uh, filtered the training data to ensure fair benchmark comparisons. Uh, It uses only 10% of the data size of the Orca paper, but it has, through their their fine-tuning of this model, uh, it's got really high performance, exceptional performance in all of the kind of benchmarks, and they've outscored many of the other similar models uh, on the open source scene such as uh, GPT for all and AGI evals. Uh, So yeah, in fact, so much so that Stable Beluga 2 currently ranks number one on the open large language model leaderboard, um, showing strong language understanding and reasoning capabilities. And they're the things that that I always look for, is that reasoning capabilities, because when you look at GPT-4 versus GPT-3.5, it was the reasoning that just took it so much further along. You go, wow. Now I can do more with this, with this model. So it's a major advance. Um, as with all of these stories in the kind of open source world, why should we care, you know, commercially as organizations? Why should we um, care as marketers? Well, better open source models and more competition in the open source models are going to give us more choice. That said, this is only available under a research license at the moment. Unlike Meta's recently released Llama 2 model, which was given the full commercial license. Um, so until they give it the full commercial license, it's just uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, more more competition in this space is going to give us more options for creating chatbots and customer service agents and all of these kinds of uh, useful things that I think AI is going to do for us in the near future. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the LLM tool and leaderboard GPT for all. I actually installed that a couple of weeks ago and it was quite interesting to play with it. Have you, have you had a play with it, Martin? I have. Yeah. And you can download all the different models and, and run them uh, them locally. locally. Yeah. And I've got like 16 gigs of Ram and I've got like an I seven equivalent, I think. Um, and they ran, they ran, but they ran pretty slowly. Um, but I think, I think it's really interesting seeing the explosion of this space. Cause I, I do think that the future for a lot of applications is going to be on board large language models when they figure out, you know, as computing power on board continues to progress, we've talked previously about how max, um, M1 and M2 chips have things like architecture built in them to enable this type of stuff. In fact, I need to get GPT-4 installed on my Mac, actually see how much better it performs. But yeah, and I think this is where these types of models, this is, that was the moment that the, all these models really suddenly were a thing for me. 
because I, you can select from, I don't know, 10, 12 models to download. And there's a summary to try and give you a feel for this one's like massive download. It's really slow, but it'll give you great output versus small download, um, much faster, but maybe not as creative or good at reasoning and stuff. So the more that we take big models, make them smaller and somehow tweak the parameters and make them as good, if not better, the closer we get to running large language models on our computers, which for some organizations may be needed, right? They just may not be comfortable having the data go into the cloud. I can imagine healthcare applications where, you know, the regulations and restrictions on how you use data, where you move data, where you store data, you know, that could be a, a bit of a game changer for them. So I think there's also applications in the marketing space for those companies that may not be able to ever use cloud-based tools for this because the sharing of data with them is just too complicated to set up and takes too long. So. Although one thing to note on that, and I, I think this came out of Macon conference for me, I, I realized that not a lot of people realize that um, Anthropic and the Claude model is uh, HIPAA compliant. Is that right? Mm. Now, I also know, I'm sure you've mentioned that on a previous podcast, actually. But um, yeah, okay, well, let's, um, let's skip and talk a bit more about Anthropic's new AI model because they've released an improved version of Claude Instant 1.2. So some more model news here. Um, in essence, this new model incorporates some of the strengths of the recently released Claude 2 that we've talked about on the podcast, showing improvements in areas like maths, coding, reasoning, and those types of things. It also generates longer, better structured responses and follows your formatting instructions better. So for users of ChatGPT 4 and 3.5, Claude Instant 1.2 is probably a, a reasonable option now at this point, especially because it has a larger context window of about 75,000 words like Claude 2. So this is pretty cool. Um, the model is also apparently less prone to hallucination and a bit more resistant to misuse. Why is this interesting for marketers? I think for us on the podcast, seeing mm. that Anthropic and to a certain extent OpenAI are continuing to invest in developing and improving older models. So there was a bit of research that came out a couple of weeks ago that we talked about on the podcast. Looking, The argument of the research was that GPT-4 had got worse, but what kind of got lost in the shuffle was it looks like GPT-3.5 had got better. Um, and if Claude Insta 1.2 is a significant improvement over 1.1, these are smaller, faster models whose, whose performance is improving. So when speed is important, you can start to rely on them for some use cases, potentially content creation use cases, summarizing call transcripts for interviewing SMEs and producing blog posts and all of those types of things. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And for People who are drifting into power use and playing with APIs like we do, Martin, the ability to access cheaper models and get good outputs more quickly is important. And therefore, it will be important to the software developers. So that could see powerful software tools for marketers that cost even less because these, these smaller um, models are improving a lot. Yeah, I found with um, Claude 2 that on one particular use case that I was on, it was a workflow that I was building out in Zapier and I just couldn't get it to, to run in time. I kept hitting timeouts, um, because it was a little bit slow and Zapier was just like, oh, we didn't get a response in time, the end. Uh, so I switched over to Claude instant, which worked, but the outputs weren't brilliant. I had to adjust uh, my expectations slightly on that. So this is great. I'm very pleased that we've now got um, a, a model which is um, fast and going to give us what I want. Absolutely. We've been hitting those same timeout issues when we're, we use a tool called um, GPT for Sheets. Well, worth having a look at and a play with for those of you that are into figuring out how to better use um, more exotic approaches to improve your marketing outputs. We use it to summarize interesting stories that we find where we just paste the story into a cell in the sheet and then we ask Claude 2 or some other model in the next column over to summarize it for us and we've been getting timeout issues with GPT-4 and Claude 2 whereas if we can now summarize them with Claude 1.2 it 
It's going to be cheaper in terms of API credits, but also faster and we won't hit that problem. So yeah, interesting stuff. I do love playing with uh, different tools that access all of this stuff through API. It really opens up your creative juices. It does. And when you start using the API, the speed of the, when it, when it is quick, the speed is so much better than using the, you know, chat GPT interface, um, or similar. Absolutely. Right. Next news item is with you, Martin Longshot. What have they been up to? Yeah. So, um, Longshot is an AI copywriting tool. And it's one that I've been on board with since basically day one of their launch. I got in early, um, got access, had a subscription to the tool since then. And, you know, similar to any AI copywriting tool, they've got templates for writing blog posts and blog introductions and meta descriptions and social media posts and all of that kind of stuff. And it does a very good job. Um, but what I really like about Longshot is that they've always been trying to address customer needs beyond just content generation, because you can now do that anywhere. In fact, they were the first tool that I really saw that came out with a fact-checking um, tool. They had Fact GPT, uh, which would do, uh, you could get it to write uh, AI-generated content about things that had just happened. For instance, in the demo, they talked about the World Cup final and being able to write about the World Cup final the day after it. You didn't have to wait until the models powering it were trained on that that kind of data. So they did a very good job there. And they've just released a new tool called BotShot. And BotShot is where you can now create a bot customer service bot or some sort of bot that sits on your website or, or elsewhere that is trained on your data. And it's a no-code solution for doing this. So we talk about being able to train large language models on your existing proprietary company data. Well, now you can do that in a no-code way using the BotShot interface. They released it last week and they say that you can have uh, your own chat GPT for your website and deploy it in under two minutes. Um, so if the workflow is as good as it looks, uh, and I think the workflow generally that they put together is very good, um, yeah, this, this is an interesting uh, tool and an interesting way to add new capabilities to your website without having to really get into things like fine tuning and using vector embeddings and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting to consider how they must do it to to get around all of that, some of those issues. Is it um is it like customer facing only for like on your website, or is it can you use it almost like as an internal tool? I think you can use it as an internal thing. Yeah, you, ultimately you would just choose where the bot sits and, and how you know the kind of address that people would interface um, through it. Uh, I think the way that they do it, and my understanding of it is that. Um, you give it the data and it manages the vector embeddings piece for you. So they've got a, they've built the workflow that just means that you don't have to be the technical person that figures all of that kind of stuff out. Interesting. One of my sort of business fantasies is the ability to codify the training that I've given people who've joined our agency over the years to, in essence, create a pull chatbot that the team can ask bot pool instead of real pool and hopefully get half decent answers out of out of it um in my stead right um freeing me up to focus on other tasks um which could be done through knowledge bases pulling a, a ton of emails out or you know other different ways and anything that's going to make that type of application a bit easier is 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 very welcome and a lot of companies obviously a lot bigger than biostrata probably have massive knowledge bases mm, already yeah. that then they can open this stuff up to so hmm, good story i think i've got to go and have a little play with bot to shot by long shot um it's a good job it's early in the morning isn't it there's a few tongue twisters in here today um next story we're talking zoom so probably a lot of you are and have you zoom we're on zoom right now uh, the popular video conferencing platform which has updated its terms of service to allow the use of some customer data to train its AI models. Now, these new terms, which came in in July 27, specify that Zoom can use service-generated data such as product usage, telemetry, and diagnostic data for machine learning purposes. However, supposedly the terms state that audio, video, or chat content 
will not be used for AI training without the customer's consent. So an interesting one on this one, because I think this was spotted in the terms and conditions. Like it took a couple of weeks for an eagle-eyed person to, to nab this, because of course we're reporting on this uh, today on the 14th of August. So that is, I think, indicative of the type of information that we're providing to software providers that they're potentially using to train AI models on. And we'll just come to that in a moment, because if in, if you're using Zoom's new, two new AI features, which came out in June, which is a meeting summary tool and a chat message composition tool to use these features, you must sign a consent form allowing Zoom to use your data to improve the performance and accuracy of these AI services, a la, in essence, we're going to use your content to better train our models, right? So if you're opting into using these cool new features, that's the bit where it says, we don't use your, your data unless you give us permission. That's the bit where you give them permission. It's not, hey, we want to train our tools on your data. No, it's packaged in a here. Do you want this cool thing? Oh, yeah, I want to play with that cool thing. By the way, we could use your data now, right? So you've got to be really hot on keeping an eye on these things. I think this is where, particularly in, in areas such as the EU, companies are going to get really unstuck. Um, they're going to have to be really, really explicit about separating this out in the terms and conditions. So, you know, we know that, for instance, with OpenAI, if you put data into ChatGPT, they're using that model to, to train, uh, they're using that to train the future models. If you use the API, they're not, they, they're keeping those, those separate. And I think the likes of Zoom are going to have to be really explicit about, look, we can give you this cool new feature and we will take your audio and your feeds and we can do the summaries and we can do the, the, the meeting notes and we can do the sales coaching, like gong or whatever it is that they're planning to do in the future while separating out the, are you opting into our further training enhancement of our own AI models? Because I just think that it, it, or regulators like the EU will come down on them like a ton of bricks. Yeah, it's, it's quite a messy one, isn't it, from that perspective? We've spoke about on the podcast before, if the product's free, it's because you are the product. But in essence here, even if you're paying for this product, you're still the product, right? Because a lot of us are paying for Zoom. Um, and I think ultimately, there's so much data needed to train these models um, that wherever these companies can get access to it, it becomes a very valuable commodity for them to access. And that we're going to see more and more of this. And probably it's happened for many years. And now our data is being used and we're just maybe not as aware of it. And now we're becoming aware of it. I think it's also going to make it very interesting to see how this plays out when Copilot gets rolled out to Office 365 and, and Google's workspace version, because ultimately the power of a lot of those tools is going to be predicated on being able to, in essence, natural language search through all your own documents and have a, a chatbot like tool create content off the back of them for you. Well, by default, they're going to have to access all your stuff. Yep. And how, and how is that going to be managed? Is there, is there going to be a training element to that? If you opt into using your information and allowing it to be part of the training set for future runs, can you get a discount on your subscriptions? Who knows, right? Because it's very interesting to see how all of that's going to, going to play out. Um, Agent Bench. Tell us about Agent Bench, Martin. So on the dis discussion last week or in the interview last week with Brennan Woodruff, we spoke about AI agents and the capabilities of agents. Um, so this is large language models, being able to complete tasks, being able to actually do things, not just tell you uh, the next word or the next token, but actually go and execute things for you. Uh, and how well AI agents work has never really been uh, benchmarked until now. We've now got Agent Bench, which is a new benchmark developed by uh, researchers, re that's it's the tongue twisting words like researchers, uh, what a complicated word, uh, for 10 30 in the morning, uh, researchers at Ohio state university, UC Berkeley and Tsinghua university, uh, in China. So agent bench evaluates large language models across eight different environments 
all of which simulate real world uh, situations. So they they look at the ability to interact with operating systems, databases, knowledge graphs. There's a digital card game which they have to play. There's some li- lateral thinking puzzles, um, householding, which is kind of interaction with a real world, like it's almost like a three D kitchen environment. I think that one is almost like robotics um, or controlling robotics. I think it's kind of virtual um, virtual household environment. Uh, web shopping and web browsing. And so they're the different uh, categories. And the goal is ultimately to, to test the large language models capabilities for coding, logical reasoning, knowledge acquisition, and actual interacting with the, the world. So the researchers benchmarked 25 large language models, both uh, API accessible large language models, such as GPT-4, Claude, Claude Instant, and then a bunch of open source models as well. Uh, And it should come as no surprise to hear that the API-based models outperformed the open source models significantly, but there was one standout model amongst the list. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you want to have a guess at which model outperformed the others. Couldn't possibly guess. Wouldn't be an open AI model, almost. Uh, we, well, that's where you're wrong. It was an open AI model, and it was their state of the art model GPT four. I'm sure you are blown away. So it scored on the agent bench overall score. It scored four point four one, and that compares to Claude, uh, which scored two point seven seven in second place. So a significant. Uh, outperformance or overperformance it's, there. It smashed the rest of the field, let's be honest. Yeah, it really did. There's a, a graphic that shows how it performs in each of those areas, um, and it absolutely dominates in every area, except, bizarrely, um, the web shopping GPT 3.5 Turbo outperforms GPT 4. Uh, but in every other field, GPT-4 outperforms uh, and scores really highly. I think generally that speaking, though, the, um, the, the researchers came away with the conclusion that none of them, even GPT-4 with its great performance relative to the rest, they're not ready for, for public consumption in terms of actually rolling out to the, to the real world as autonomous agents just yet. But I think what it demonstrates is that it's coming. Uh, we are on the precipice of some, uh, some very capable autonomous agents come to the market and that's going to change. I mean, it's interesting to think about it from the marketer's perspective, but just as, as consumers, um, as knowledge workers, what this is going to enable us to do is, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine right now. And I think for me, the AI agent space is where if I kind of fast forward, if I throw it ahead two or three years time, that's going to be the real big difference to now and then, you know, like we, we look back to, I don't know, let's say like 2005 and what's really different. Well, smartphones and apps is, is the kind of thing that you go, oh yeah, well, we had these flip phones in 2005, <laughs> um, in, in like 2030, I think we'll be looking back at 2023 and going, we didn't even have those AI agents that are just constantly doing tasks for us behind the scenes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, Hyperwrite, which is the sort of started out as, as a writing support tool, really like you know, Writer, Jasper, all these other tools, but they've got their AI assistant now, haven't they? That's appearing to gain more and more capability and in essence, you ask it to do things for you, like um, book a flight for you, or find a recipe, or um, you know, on the website they give examples like organize my Gmail inbox and draft responses for me, find engineering candidates on LinkedIn. So really stringing together some of those some of those tasks, um, which I think is interesting and actually is a fairly handy seg- segue to our last story of the week, which is. Um, about MetaGPT, which aims to replace entire software companies. So this is a really interesting one. 
that um, that we saw on the Superhuman newsletter this week, which is an AI system that basically works by assigning different language models, specific roles like engineer and project manager. And you give MetaGPT a simple prompt and it activates a chain of AI agent, agents that collaborate and build sites and more. So the example that was given was that a developer created an entire flappy bird game in just 10 minutes using the tool and only providing one line of code and MetaGPT did the rest. So you know, to your previous point, Mine, this is an interesting emerging area of chaining together tools to develop more comp and deliver more, more complex outcomes and a bit of a glimpse into the future where creating apps and other digital products becomes so much easier and faster, even for people who don't have necessarily the training skills or, or background for that type of stuff. I've been using ChatGPT to create a little bit of script for me that nobody else in the world would need. Um, but I can't code. I can't use Python. But now I can. I, I still can't write the code, but I can get code generated for the specific task that I need and execute it and off I go. Now, if I can do that, everyone's going to be able to do that very soon. Um, and I think this example with, with MetaGPT is, um, is a great example. I love the, fa the fact that he's created these specific roles like project manager and engineer. It's kind of company in a box, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'd be interested to see how this performs on because this is a, you know AI agent, but it's still very specialized. Right, this is exclusively focused on the the task of creating software. Um, but using the the agent bench scorecard, I'd like to see how Meta GPT um, performs in the benchmark tests because you know it isn't going to perform very well, presumably on things like householding and lateral thinking puzzles, maybe. Um, but would perform pretty well on things like operating systems, databases, and knowledge graphs. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think as well, the focus here quite obviously, but it's worth stating on digital outcomes, right? Like yeah. until robotics catches up, we're going to be able to create perhaps autonomous chains of agents that can do interesting things automatically and autonomously in the digital world. But until we overcome that interface problem to the physical world, that's where it's going to be restricted to. Now, lots of things happen in the digital world. Most knowledge workers these days operate almost exclusively in the digital world. So it's not like they won't have a massive impact. They will. Um, but I think once the robotics catches up, that's, a, you know, we, we hit the bottom of another exponential curve from there. I really love your point as well, Martin, about using GPT-4, which, you know, ChatGPT, you can do today to help you with code. Like, you're one of the best copy-pasters I know, um, asking great questions of GPT-4 and then copy-pasting the results and getting, it, getting stuff to run for you. I do you a disservice. I'm joking, obviously. Fine. You're a fantastic problem solver. And, uh, and it's you not. Do, it. <laughs> do you know what? You're not far off, though, because, yeah, you can write a good prompt and you can go back and forth and refine, but ultimately it comes down to just asking a couple of questions and and then copying and pasting. And sometimes when it doesn't give you the output you want, literally just going back in and saying, well, that didn't work because it said this. And, you know, running those time and time again. Absolutely. And if you think about it at the moment, most marketers and sales folk are relying on off-the-shelf off software and SaaS platforms to do the stuff they need to do. But as these types of, well, A, as the approaches that you take already are empowering you to create snippets of code to do things you want to do that are very specific to you, obviously you're an early adopter and you're having to think around problems and be quite creative. But once these become packaged in products or, you know, out of the box type tools, the imagination becomes the only limit really in terms of as a marketer, oh, I, I wish I could do this thing. Why isn't there a tool out there that does it? Build your own. Mm. Ask, ask your agent team to go build it for you and then give them some feedback when it comes back and, and iterate it through. So interesting times. I really wonder how long do you think it will take? Completely unfair question for you, Brian. How long do you think it will take before we can start to use some of these agents to really get useful stuff done? I think we'll be looking at uh, probably about two to three years when they're really fully functional. 
Um, at the moment, uh, we're starting to see the, the glimmers of it and we're going to see buggy systems, trial and error, iteration over time. But I think, you know, throw it out two or three years time and we'll have, it's going to probably a similar time frame actually to the likes of GPT-5 mm-hmm. um, and the kind of multimodality coming in. Um, yeah. I mean, code interpreter is interesting because it takes you through its reasoning and tries different things. And I don't know if that's like an artifact or like it's for show to make the human feel like inside the loop of what it's doing, or whether it actually needs to like reason with itself. And it's like, oh, okay, well, to access, to analyze the data you just gave me like that, we probably need to format it in this way or run this type of analysis and it doesn't need to say that out loud one assumes obviously the showing the text part to me is absolutely for me but i wonder if that's how it actually reasons like it well, goes through a reasoning process with you know chain of thought prompting is a is a thing isn't it you know asking large language models to show their reasoning and show their working um the documentation if you've ever read the documentation of claude on how to get most out of the model just look at the the documentation and it says ask it to show it's working, but it gives you examples of how to put that into a prompt itself. You can't just ask it a question uh, and then at the end of it, put show you're working. There's a specific structure that you have to put in in order for it to then take the steps, which gets a better reasoned um, output. So I would imagine that part of Code Interpreter's uh, setup is the same thing. It's been um, been trained to go through step by step and show its workings in order to get the outputs that it requires. Yeah. Well, we um, we'll see if your uh, your prediction comes true. Personally, I hope we get it a little bit faster than that. Um, but I think it's probably more realistic what you said. Um, right. As it's your birthday, I think we should let you go off and enjoy the rest of your day, Martin. As always, thanks for your time on the podcast. I look forward to the next one cracking stuff for our lovely listeners if you're not subscribed yet hit subscribe because we're going to provide you with these insights every week uh, and of course we're now on our mission to have chatspot effectively recognize artificially intelligent marketing as a podcast worth ranking so please share this with your pals your friends anyone in marketing or business land that you would feel would benefit from some of the insights and news and information and product that we talk about on the podcast other than that have a lovely week everyone thanks again martin bye bye cheers bye thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing to stay on top of the latest trends tips and tools in the world of marketing ai be sure to subscribe we look forward to seeing you again next week